Habits and Health, episode 65. Welcome to the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. Brought to you by an educator and coach for anyone who wants to create a healthier life. Here's your host, Tony Winyard. Welcome back to Habits and Health, the podcast where we give you ideas for new behaviours that will help improve your health. Today's guest, Susan Kohlberg, who is a mindset coach who transforms bodies and minds. She's also a speaker and an author of the book, The Beginning Is Um, And in today's episode, we talk about people gaining weight and why people overeat. And she she has a real passion for helping women, and it's fueled by her own weight loss weight loss journey, where she went from 150 kilograms to 72 kilograms, which is where she is now. So that's coming up today's episode with Suzanne Kohlberg. If you do enjoy this episode and you know someone who would really benefit from some of uh, Suzanne's wisdom, please do share the episode with them, and hope you enjoy today's show. Habits and Health, my guest today is Suzanne Kohlberg. How are you doing, Suzanne? I'm going great, Tony. And you're the other side of the world for me, aren't you? I certainly am. It's the future here. It's looking bright. (laughs) (laughs) And so what time is it for you? It's seven o'clock in the evening. Oh, okay. I always get mixed up with the time when the clocks keep going backwards and forwards. And sometimes it seems like Sydney's 12 hours ahead of us and other times it's, yes. Ten. Yeah, so right. it depends on daylight savings because when you guys fall back, we spring forward and vice versa. So right. we don't line up and we end up yeah. being further apart and then closer together. It's odd. Yeah, yeah. So, well, as I just mentioned, so you're in Sydney. Are you from Sydney? No, actually, I'm from Tasmania. Do you know where that is? That's on the bottom, isn't it? It's the tiny little <laughs> island that almost always gets left off the map. So if you see a map of Australia and Tasmania's on it, we always celebrate. We're like, yes, we've been remembered. <laughs> but, but we all know the devil as well. Yes, and I get this asked this question a lot, like, is the Tassie devil real? I'm like, yes, but unfortunately it doesn't spin. Looney Tunes has, you know, done a misstep there. <laughs> that must have been quite disillusioning when you found out that it didn't spin. Oh, well, I know. I've known because I grew up there, but people who speak to me about it are always fascinated by the Tassie Devil. So, so Suzanne, what, what is it that you do? Oh, that's a great question, Tony. What do I do this week? <laughs> so, currently, I am a mindset coach for overgivers, for people who give too much help to others at the expense of themselves, and they end up exhausted, burnt out. Uh, resentful though they may not admit it and in some way they overconsume. so the main entry point into that has been food so overeaters and that's my personal background but as I've been doing this work for the last five years I've realized it's expanded into um, over shopping like overspending overworking over drinking and I believe for me personally this has been my yo-yo dieting history because when I stopped overeating, I overconsumed in another form so I wasn't right. actually addressing what was going on underneath. And I'm also right. a healer, so I have a little bit of woo, and an author. Uh, so let's, well, so how did this all come about? What what led you to, to what it is you're doing now? Oh, that's a great question. So originally... I was going to be a doctor. I've been to medical school. I left in my fifth year, five years of six, which often fascinates people because like, you were so close. 
But when you finish, when you graduate from med school, you do an intern year and then um, residency for usually at least three years and then registrar training for another decade. So it's another 13 years before you're a consultant and done. And even then, you're never done. And at the time that I was in fifth year, I had just lost 43 kilos. So I think you guys might measure in stone. I don't know what that is. It's nearly 100 pounds. (laughs) Yeah, we do both. So I'd lost all this weight and I'd been, I'd struggled with my weight since I was four. My parents put me on my first diet at four. That's a story. That's a whole other story. But I was like, oh, I found the answer. It's personal training, like exercise. This is the thing. So I left medical school to train as a personal trainer to the, like I horrified my parents. And to this day, they're like, when are you going to finish being a doctor? But anyway, I digress. It's been 20 years now, mum and dad, get over it. <laughs> so I did personal training for a while. And then my husband and I moved from Tasmania, where I was saying we were at at the beginning, up the top to Queensland, so the Sunshine State, and I regained all of the weight and interest. And there was a lot to do with that story, moving away from home, shifting work, like all this stuff. But at the end of the day, there's no passive eating like there's passive smoking. I did it. And I ended up doing a diploma of education. I thought I was going to be a teacher because I'm, <laughs> I don't sit still for long. And then teaching wasn't for me. So then I got a government job and I worked at that for a number of years. I lost 60 kilos. So I was like, yes. Uh, then I fell pregnant and with my first child, regained 40 of those kilos. Then I keep, kept gaining. I didn't lose any of the baby weight and had another child. And then I was bigger than ever and I was like, I cannot diet again. I cannot force myself to do all these things that make me feel miserable. And I'm like, there must be another way. And so I ended up, um, my husband was, I don't know if you guys call it that over there, but drive in, drive out. So he didn't actually work from home. He worked a distance away. So he'd leave on Monday, come back Friday. And so I didn't want to go back to the government job. So I ended up being for a spiel, an executive assistant, like a a VA, but I'm not very techie. So more writing and emails and, you know, customer support because that's what I'd done for the government. And in that time I came across NLP, like neuro-linguistic programming and mindset, and I went on this total journey of, of this kind of thing. I started a Facebook page documenting my weight. I released 78 kilograms, so this time 171 pounds, and people were like, can I work with you? And I was like, hmm. So then I trained to be a coach. So it's a very <laughs> long-winded way to where I am now, and I've been doing this. This is my fifth year, yes. So, you know, I mean, you, you mentioned that there's a few times where you managed to lose a lot of weight and it came back and you lost and came back. So w- was it the NLP that was the final thing that helped you to lose it and, and maintain that? It was, yeah, it was a factor. I did that amongst other things. Like part of it, I honestly believe, was like for those of us who are yo-yo dieters, we will always say, well, <laughs> it's a very <laughs> fundamental word always, but I'm never going to diet again. And... Mm. There's saying it and then there's really meaning it. And I got to this point where I was like, I would rather be fat forever than to do this yo-yo because people look at the physical weight journey and when people say, oh, I'm worried about you, like I'm worried about your weight, that's the physical weight but the mental and emotional toll of of going on and off a diet and and forcing yourself and depriving yourself, nobody talks to that. Um. And so when I, I found coaching, it was, it was actually funny because my first NLP coach, being the people pleaser that I used to be, 
um, when they're explaining things, like, do you see the dots? I'd just say, uh-huh, because I didn't see anything. <laughs> so my first experience and my first into NLP wasn't that great. And I was like, oh, it's just a waste of a big ticket item of money. And then I found another coach. So I think like I've got a bunch of coaching certifications now, NLP being one of them, but I don't actually lead with any of them because it's the person and the rapport and the connection. So um, mindset coaching or coaching in general, definitely, because having that person who 100% has your back, listens to you every week, wants the best for you, but is going to call you on your BS is, I think, fundamental for lasting change. Right. And so, so it was the, so it sounds like it. So as you said, NLP was a factor, but maybe the biggest factor was the the change in your mindset. I think so. It's that kind of, because when you're like, when you, when you truly give up, it's like the breakdown before the breakthrough and food, honestly, and people don't believe this. It's something I think you have to experience when you're like, I'm never going to do this again and you eat McDonald's or a whole bunch of chocolate or, you know, name your poison and you feel sick and you actually listen to your body and you're like, how does this make me feel? I feel tired. I feel sluggish. And you're not eating it because I've got to eat it all now because tomorrow I'll never be able to have it again. You're Mm. like, I could eat this every single day if I wanted to. And there's not like, I'm going to eat all the things now that I can't have later. There's that honestly, like it really loses its appeal. And it's kind of like, this is not, this is not fun. This is not pleasant. And it's not to say I became a Buddhist breatharian on a mountain and never ate bad stuff again. Like I still have moments, but Mm. it's kind of like, what are the, where am I not looking after myself? Where am I not prioritizing myself? Seeing that as a signal, slow down, Suze, something's happening, as opposed to I'm a failure and I can't get it together. And I think that's the shift because we often think we're broken because we can't control our eating. But for me, it's a tell that something else is happening rather than I'm a failure because I still have moments where food is is more enticing than it, you know, should be. So from what you just said, there's, yeah, I mean, everything is so connected. So once you've kind of corrected is not the right word, but that's the only word that's come to mind, but where you've managed to maintain your weight, and then that's improved your self-esteem and there's probably a whole load of knock-ons from that that uh, put you in a much better place as well. Yes, and it's interesting. The self-esteem did improve but not initially. It's right. funny. I always thought and many of the clients I work with, once I lose weight, then I'll be happy. Like one, the right. weight is the problem. <laughs> once the weight is gone, then life will be magic. But there's always going to be problems in life. They're just different. Right. So the shift you have in your relationship um, with your family, like I was always the fat sister. I don't mean that in a judgmental way. I was just the fat sister, the fat friend. And when I was no longer that, some relationships thrived and and that, but other relationships, the the dynamic changes. And like your identity is, is tied to your appearance, what it was for me. And then when you don't have that anymore, like, before I couldn't do things. I couldn't go on a roller coaster because I was physically too large. And then having to face there's things that I, I, because I don't want to. (laughs) And that to be able to speak up and say like, no, I don't want to do this rather than I can't. Um, And not having the fat as an excuse was 
it sounds so like, oh, you know, like, you know, the poor little rich girl story, oh, poor little skinny girl or, you know, health or whatever, however you want to frame it. But it's like, wow, this is something I've never had to, to handle before. <laughs> so so now, I mean, so you mentioned that you've done these various coaching certifications. And so do you work with a certain type of person now? Is there or is it like a wide range of people that are coming to you? It's a wide range, but underlying it all, I work with, you know, people pleasers, martyrs, um, people who say yes to everybody else but themselves. And right. underlying it, they're, they're really looking for community and that feeling of belonging because so many of us, we're really good at fitting in. We're like, how, how does this scenario work? And we're really hypervigilant in places because I don't want to say the wrong thing. And... The, the, the support I help people build is to uncover who they are because people often say, oh, you've changed. And I like to say, I didn't change. I just became more me. I didn't know who I was before. So offering a space where we come from all over the globe and we speak in different ways and we have different words for things and not being like, okay, this is a vernacular here. You have to speak like this, but opening up and exploring and expanding and knowing that whatever you have going on, it's okay. And unpacking, why do you do the things that don't serve you? So like in the, in my dieting history, you go somewhere and you're like, I'm a bad person because I had McDonald's or, um, and it's like, what drove to that? What were you really hungry for? And what were you, cause often we say, um, we say yes all the time to everybody without checking in with ourselves. And because we don't want to say no, we'll be shunned. And when you think about it, like historically, if, when we were tribal and stuff, you, you had your role and you did that. And if you said no, you might get cast out. And I think we have a lot of that still like in our epigenetics generationally. So how to feel safe in a space so you can start to bring that in other areas of your life. You know, that reminds me of something, what you just said. It's something I was thinking about a couple of weeks ago in that there's a lot of people, uh, they give too much and it, it can get to a point where it's very detrimental and it's actually hurting them, but it's part of their nature. And and then when they have the awareness or maybe someone helps them to realise that they are just giving too much and then they try correct to correct it and then stop giving and then that hurts who they are because there is a part of them that actually enjoys to give. And it's like, it seems to me they need, rather than just stopping giving, they need to find that balance of where they can give but not just so much where it just completely depletes them of energy and so on or yes, money. Or and that's the difference be. between overgiving and being generous. So mm. like, and the, the generous mm. is from a place of as cliche as it sounds, your cup being full, but you know, when you're, and, and this is something I work with people to learn the distinction. So if someone says to me, Hey, Suze, can you do this? And I want to, yeah, let's go. Or like say, for example, well, we live on the opposite sides of the globe, but say, for example, you're like, Suze, can you help me move house on Saturday at 8 a.m.? Oddly Pacific, but sometimes people are like that. And I'll be like, oh, Tony, I'm, I've got stuff on. I can be there Sunday at 12. And you're like, oh, the, the movies are going to come. The overgiver in me would be like, I need to cancel my plans and rescue Tony. <laughs> Not that like, oh, hello, Tony could ask somebody else. So... When it's generous and it's like this is what I have available, mm. you know, I'm one of the most generous people that I know, 
but when it goes into overgiving, that's when it's at your detriment. And knowing, like, also to being attached to the outcome when it's over overgiving, it's like I've done this for you. Like you should be happy. Like we wouldn't necessarily say it like that, but we can have this right. thing. Like after all I've done for you, when that thought comes into my mind, it's like, oh hello, <laughs> where am I overgiving here? So it's learning that difference and then knowing that there's a difference between understanding and putting into practice because we can understand this conceptually, like I just need to be able to say no. But then learning how to say that because it can be really scary because there could be pushback, you could be like ejected from the community and really actually finding that people admire boundaries. Brene Brown, um, I love her work, but she says clear is kind. And it's so true because sometimes we're trying to be really helpful but we're really unclear and people aren't sure so they ask and then we say yes but it's disgruntled. But if we said no, they'd just go and ask someone else. We're not like the arbiter of, of them that they're left stranded <laughs> on an island without us. So it's feeling into where is the yes coming from? Is it a yes, let's go or is it a oh, like I'm going to rearrange my schedule for you? So, so how does someone who is an overgiver, well, first, if they do realise they're an overgiver, because many people don't realise, but if they, if they, even if they do realise that they have a tendency to do that, how would they be able to have the awareness of when they're starting to, to give too much? What, what would, how would you help someone in that situation? That's a great question. In the case of the people I work with, what tends to happen, so... I love how you do breath work because I can talk about like paired states and you'll kind of get it. Giving and receiving are paired like inhaling and exhaling. You cannot mm. continue to exhale without eventually having to inhale. It's impossible. So mm. when with overgivers, people, they they think that they don't get anything back and they often are very, in the beginning, difficult to receive. Like if you give them a compliment, I love your jumper, oh, this old thing, or you did such a good job, oh, I rambled. <laughs> you know, like you, you just, you, ha- you walk you, around you just, with. You've just described everyone in Britain. <laughs> but the thing is, what I, I highlight to people is how disappointing is it when you are trying to give to someone and they don't receive well? Like have you ever planned a gift, been really excited, been like, oh, my gosh, this is going to be amazing, handed it to them, had them unwrap it and being like, oh, you shouldn't have, and then kind of pushing it away. And it's horrifying. Oh, you spent too much money because they can't receive and they feel really guilty. And then you are you can kind of feel like, well, that's that's it's funny what led me on this whole journey of learning this is actually becoming a mother my son is the best receiver I have ever seen will you take him anywhere that kid gets stuff people give him things like we go into a florist a couple weeks ago he was admiring the flowers I was like don't touch this lady made him a bouquet and I'm like oh my gosh how much is this gonna cost like I don't she just gave it to him and he's like I just get stuff anyway the, the back to the question it's Because giving and receiving are paired, they're in flow, like inhaling and exhaling, the the matching for overgiving is overconsuming. So we tend to beat ourselves up and go, I don't understand what's wrong with me. I stay up all night watching Netflix or we do the trifecta. You binge Netflix while you eat the chips and you scroll and play Candy Crush. (laughs) So that's your receiving because you're overconsuming on these things that aren't serving you and that you don't want to do. And then what you end up saying to yourself is, I just need a plan. I need a productivity tool. I need to find the right calendar. And so we're looking at uh, finding the right plan instead of like the intervention point for overgiving is not 
finding the right system, schedule, planner, whatever. It's like where do I actually need to do less and start to say no in a way that feels good so that when I can say no to others, I can say yes to me? Because how often do we buy a, co- buy a course, hire a coach, do something, and then we're like, this is going to be the thing. Yes. And then it's not the thing because someone's like, could you just, and you drop all your things and you, your veggies are wilting in the fridge and you just grab cheap and cheerful because it's easier and you're like, I'll start again Monday, the universal day to change your life. <laughs> So, so you, you talked there about the link between overgiving and, and overconsuming. Mm-hmm. And so and I, I presume that's the same for overconsumption of whatever, whether it be food or alcohol or work. Shopping. And people like, don't understand work and even exercise. Like people often laugh at exercise. And what I didn't say at the beginning, my the time I lost the sixty kilos, I injured my back in a personal training incident that's a lifelong injury now. Um because I became over-exercising. I was exercising for four hours a day. And for some people, like if you're an Olympian or a sportsman or something, yes, that could be healthy. But in my case, it was unhealthy. It was my over-consuming through movement. Hmm. And so how is it the same for no matter what the over-consumption is? Is it is it the same approach to correct it or is it slightly different depending on what It's it pretty much the same. It would be looking at the energy of underneath because the other thing that people can do is that they can just swap it out. Like I know for me I went from overeating to overspending to overexercising back to overeating. Like it's just like moving it around and I call this the thing that we're avoiding the void. Like the void is where we're unsure or we're uncertain or we're not, we're not taught I believe, especially in Western societies, to process our emotions. Like we're like, I feel bad. I need to stop this, eat, shop, drink, whatever it is so that I don't feel this. So it's like teaching people to reconnect with their feelings and the ebb and the flow and processing it so an emotion is energy in motion. It moves through our body rather than energy stuck that we then numb or buffer with our overconsuming. So it's like, oh, what is it that I'm actually feeling? and realising that it, we don't have to unpack and live there and it can actually move through us a lot faster when we identify it and process it. We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Habits and Health podcast, where we believe that creating healthy habits should be easy. If you know a friend or a loved one who might be interested in learning simple habits to improve their health, then please share this podcast with them. We also invite you to subscribe and to leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Now, back to the show. People or youngsters who are maybe in their late teens, early 20s are still, you know, their brain's still developing and they won't often listen to certainly their parents and people older than them. And so they don't always take the the good advice they're often given because they are still developing. So I wonder, I mean, one of the things I was thinking of is if you were to go back and talk to your younger self, but I wonder if your 20, 18-year-old self, whatever, would would listen to the advice that you would give them. It's a great question because people often ask, if I could go back in time, what advice would I give? And I'd actually, it would be something like you've got this because, you, you know, we do, and I think for any sort of thing, we can be told and we can go, yeah, yeah, I know that. 
and then we experience it and we're like, oh, I know that. So there's a difference between telling and modelling. Like my children haven't reached the teenage years yet, but I'm sure we'll have our own adventures when we get there. But even with very young children, um, we all have anemia, so um, idiopathic, so unknown cause, and um, supplements and things that we take. Saying take your iron supplements, like take your <laughs> things. No, it tastes yuck and drink smells. Like my husband, my son calls it the yucky juice when we laugh about it. I just started taking it myself. Like, and then they see, and then they want to do it too. So learning by modeling rather than saying you should do this because, um, and giving them that experience. And even like when I started movement, like exercise, I. I shy away from the term exercise now because I think exercise, <laughs> shudder, but I do enjoy movement. I started going to the gym and putting my kids in the creche because my husband was away and seeing their sad little faces, like the mum guilt was a big thing because I'm saying no to them, you know, and yes to me. But after a little while, and it wasn't that long, even at a young age, they know that I was happier and when I'm happier, our life is happier. And even like when we're po- as we record this on the tail end of all the lockdowns and all the stuff that's happened, my kids are often like, oh, mummy needs to go to the gym <laughs> because we couldn't because they know that when I do that, then I feel better. So, you know, in terms of overgiving and in terms of things, some things are experiential, um, but we can model rather than saying because, you know, no one does what we say. And even with coaching, like true coaching, I don't have a – here's the 12 steps or here is the, the, the framework or here is the method. I, I have like this outline of what we've been discussing and, and feeling emotions and leaning into them and where are we overgiving and that sort of stuff. But people exploring it on their own rather than this is how it's set up because it's like, well, I've done that and, and, and I'm still, you know, it's, it's kind of a unpacking. <laughs> Something you mentioned earlier was that, one thing that you've learned to do when when coaching with people and i think you were referring to you having your own coach is calling people out on their on their bs so if you are working with someone who you you've given them maybe you, you've helped them find some solutions for their overeating or over consuming or whatever it might be and they keep coming back each week with excuses why they're not able to resist the cravings for this or that how because there's a fine line between calling someone out on their BS and trying to help them if they are oversensitive or whatever the case yes. may be. How, how do you tread that? Um, my, my clients call me the velvet hammer, so equal parts loving but very direct. And it's, it's, it's always from a place of love. I always preface it with like I, I'm not attached to what you do or don't do because, and that's the thing, when I'm in my overgiving mode, everybody has to be saved. <laughs> my rescue is coming out and it's kind of like, oh, hang on, rein that back in. But like I had, I'm launching my program currently. I have a lot of people repeating and then new people and we we're having a discussion yesterday on the, like the, the webinar leading into it, the masterclass. And somebody was saying, because I was saying in everything where you fail, like in life, if you draw a lesson from it, it's not a failure, it becomes a win. So basically I'd encourage people to look so far in 2022, what have you failed at? Like, let's get real. It's never comfortable, but, (laughs) and then how can you spot the lesson? Because otherwise how many times have we done something? And we're like, I'm never going to do that again. And then a couple of weeks later, you're like, Oh, (laughs) so her, she's like, I can't find the, um, the lesson. And I was like, let me, let me have it. 
And she's like, I did Y weight, which is my program. Um, I did Y weight. I did all the modules. I didn't change my eating and I didn't lose any weight. And it's interesting because like I, I said, lovingly, the only way you can guarantee weight loss is liposuction. And even then it doesn't mean it's going to come back. <laughs> so there's that, you know, but the other thing is I was curious and all, with a curious question, not a judging, not you should have, but I was like, you said here that you've done why weight and you did it all like, cause that's what she said, but you didn't change your eating. I was like, how did you do why weight? Because we talk about the eating, uh, what I call the hunger scale, like checking in, are you actually hungry? And if yes, eat, you know, this sort of thing. And we talk about setting up our eating guidelines. I don't like, I actually have changed it now to boundaries, but anyway, it's like you creating your own. I don't give them to them. I model mine and then we discuss because different people have different requirements. Anyway, long story short, I was like, so did you actually do why wait or did you listen to everything? Felt like, yeah, I understand that. Yeah, I get that. And, and, and power through the program and tell yourself you did it, but you didn't actually make any changes. And she's like, <laughs> and then we got talking even further and I was like, so what did you learn from why wait? And at the end of the call, like I was crying and she was crying and whatever, because she was like, it doesn't matter about my body. It's like how I feel about myself. And that is what I want for my clients always, because we are so much more than a number on the scale or a clothing size. I don't weigh them in or out or anything like that. I want them to be able to take up space and ask for their needs to be met and all this sort of stuff. And from there, sometimes people drop weight and sometimes don't. But learning just because we listen to a podcast or read a personal development book or hire a coach, like, yeah, just because we put money at the thing doesn't guarantee a result. There's a difference between investing, like money, and investing energy and time to do the thing. As you've just shown, really, it's, it's hard to get people to realise that, that, that they, it's more than just the, the, the time or the money. That's a lifelong skill. Like why weight is a 10 week program and it's not a boot camp. Let's go hard and see how much weight we can lose kind of thing, because you're already dreaming of the binge you're going to have at the end. And it's like, there's a before and after. What about the after the after the compound interest of that 10 weeks? I never want to contribute to the yo-yo dieting phenomenon. And why weight originally, it was a membership platform. So people joined and they did month to month. And I ran it that way for two years. But what I found is when people were finished or they were feeling complete, they just kind of snuck out. They were just kind of like, oh, it's awkward, leave. There was no celebration. There was no graduation. And then or they stayed too long and what should have been a, like a graduation kind of became a divorce where it got awkward and whatever. So now I've repurposed it. And for the last year I've run it as 10-week rounds um, where we start together then we take the action and then we harvest and celebrate all the successes and then we take a winter, so a break between rounds and people can come back or they can sit out and it's totally up to them but not for the energy of like let's haul for 10 weeks and bust it out but like what are we going to focus on? I call why wait kind of like a library as in there's all these resources. There's resources for overeating, there's resources for like you name it and then you walk in and then sometimes when you walk into a library, you don't go, oh, I need to read everything, panic, run out, overwhelmed, because that's what's, you know, we're in our society where it's constantly do and consume and consume. We can control how much we consume. We can't control how much we digest. So right. it's like come in, what do you want to focus on this round? And, you know, make yourself at home, pull up a chair, create space to do this, 
And then whether you come back or not, that skill of actually prioritising something, which is yourself, (laughs) is a lifelong thing and that's my hope. So is this done, so you mentioned it's like a kind of community type thing. Mm-hmm. Is this done on like sort of Zoom sessions plus a, like a Facebook group as well? Or Yes, so it does, it's the combination of the Facebook group. So I teach modules and I teach every round live and that is a deliberate decision. Like I know in business it's like, what do you call it? Let's automate this and let's scale and whatever. But me personally, there's a dead energy of something pre-recorded. No, no knocking to people who do that, but there's something about teaching it live. So I teach it via Facebook Live. So the Clients can come, they can interact. The examples I use in that round can be specific to the people who are there because they're asking. And then um, we also have a group coaching call, which is on Zoom. So we all get to you know be in the Zoom room together. And I really encourage people to show up as they feel comfortable. So sometimes people don't want to have a camera on or they at the beginning they're so shy and that they, they can't even ask a question. So, like, for me, the bloom from people who, like, feel like the loving lurker and hide out, like people often say to me in the beginning, it's really weird because I feel like I know everyone because I listen to everything, but I realise, hey, they don't know me because I never speak up. <laughs> Going from there to, like, the first time they comment or the first time they come the camera on and it's like, yes, but it's like this Zoom and we're from all over the globe and, um, yeah, so Facebook, Zoom and Facebook Live, the combination. And we also do like a couple of times a week. I'm also a hypnotherapist. So I have, as I said, lots of um, things in my hat, hypnotherapy and journaling sessions. They're not recorded. They're like, you know, come live um, because I journal too, because journaling, I think is such a powerful tool for transformation and I'm fully transparent with my clients. I'll be client here. I run them in the program so that I have to do it as well. So I open it, I say, what are we going to work on today? And then we're all on zoom, just mute, do our journaling. And then we unpack at the end and that part isn't recorded. So at what stage was it that you thought about doing a book? I've thought about doing a book for, for like as long as I can remember because being a yo-yo dieter, I was obsessed with before and after stories. Like I had every magazine, every book, everything you could think of, but I never found a story like mine. I was like, they're always before I was fat, frumpy, and my life was terrible. And after I was amazing. And I was like, am I the only one who went did it? <laughs> up, down, up, down, up, down. And then so I was like, I'm going to write that book one day. And then kind of like ingest. And then I was like, no, I'm really going to write the book. So I started to officially write it back in 2018. Um, and it's really raw. And I got I got about 75% of the way through and I put it down for three years, Tony. I set it aside. I was like, I can't face this. Like this is too much. Um, and then I picked it back up last year and, and I finished it off and published it. So what changed in that time? So you said at 75% it was too much. And why did it suddenly become okay three years later? Well, I'd started in in business. So, like, my journey originally was purely for me. Um, And then I'd started my business and I had a business coach at the time and I could tell the story people wanted me to tell. So, like, I have personally released a lot of weight and originally I shared before and after photos and, and all that sort of stuff and I found I was attracting people who wanted to buy the after. They were like, well, I want to be that. And I knew with the story they wanted me to create the Suzanne Kohlberg method and the Suzanne Kohlberg framework. And, like, I know I could make a ton of money that way Um, because when when I was a personal trainer, what I didn't share was I dropped that 43 kilos at the gym. I I trained as a personal trainer. I signed 77 clients in my first week. 
Because when people had seen you drop a ton of weight, they want what she's having. But then there's a difference between wanting to buy a result, as I said with the client example I gave with why weight, and actually being I'm the person who's going to do it. I'm not saying you have to do this 24-7 and, you know, that's whatever, but you do need to make consistent and persistent daily action, small, penny action that compounds over time. So in, in the people I was working with back then, they wanted it positioned in a certain way and they were like, we can get you on Sunrise. It's a TV, like a news show here, and we can do all this stuff. I don't ever want to go on TV. I'm a very much introverted person. I don't want to have to leave the house. <laughs> so, like, it was it was really confronting for me because I don't want to – like, I love podcasts. I'm going to be here in my PJs and nobody knows. <laughs> but, like, I didn't want to create the story of the picture of what people wanted, but I wasn't strong enough yet to – create the story of how it actually went. And so over the ensuing three years where I really became to understand, and I didn't even write about overgiving or any of this stuff in this book. So this book is my weight loss memoir. The next one that will be coming will be <laughs> the accidental entrepreneur, the business memoir. But like I felt I wasn't in a place that I could say, no, I don't want to do these things. So I just scrapped the project. And how, what's the reaction been to the book? So when, when was it published? Uh, in September and the reaction has been it's been really really funny because you know how if a friend or somebody you know and follow they publish a book or they do something so you buy it to kind of be nice like I want to support you I've followed you online for years (laughs) this has happened you know in more than one occasion I bought your book and they send me a picture with it or they you know whatever and then you know invariably a week or two weeks or sometimes a month later I get this message I've had this literally more than once. I started reading a book like while I was cooking dinner or something. (laughs) Then I turned off the stove and then I sat there and then I thought I'll just read it for this. And then like most people have read the entire thing. They're like they couldn't put it down because it was just like all the, especially people who knew me, I never knew that you went on this is the journey you went through because we don't talk about these things. And for people who don't know me, the relation, they're like this could have been my story minus the the piece at the end yet but they're not at the end yet but it's kind of like and it's funny there's lots of stories in there that I share and for me the most challenging one to write was the birth of my son it was very difficult it's not graphic but emotional but the the feedback I get the most from the book is it's actually in the first two chapters and that's the um, thing I'll give your listeners if they'd like to download it but when I was at school there's this project I made there was glitter, there was photos, I'm eight years old, I go in there all excited and people are like, what are you, two? What's with that glitter? And and we had to write our weight on this poster and I was the heaviest and like all the teasing and all the how many rolls are in a bakery, which I didn't understand. I had to go and ask my dad, you know, like that and how I like <laughs> shrunk over the poster in shame and didn't want it put up there. So many people can relate to that because how often are we so proud of something and then someone says, what you like that show? You've read that book. You follow that person, and we and we shrink. So it was the story of like how that happened, and then how eventually I just reached a place where I was like, I'm done being everyone else's version, and I just want to be me. So, who would you say the book would be most helpful for? What kind of issues? What you know? What things are they struggling with that is going to help them? As I say self-worth but then again you don't necessarily know you struggle with self-worth like how often do we not realize something until we've come out of the other side of it what do they say hindsight's twenty twenty. but for mm. anyone whether it be weight or not like obviously if weight's your jam this is the book for you 
But any goal that you've set or you've tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed and you're feeling at the point where like you really want it but you you like, is there something fundamentally wrong with me? Um, why does it happen for everyone else but not for me? And to see that you you can get there in the end, um, that's the, the story it's for because it's like there's there's so many ways to do this and I believe, you know, that saying, actually you asked me what my favourite quote was. One of my other favourite quotes is, you know, 80% of success is simply showing up. And I think for so many people we think because we've failed so many times before that there's something wrong with us. And what I hope that people would get from the book is like the Thomas Edison approach. You haven't failed 10,000 times. You've failed, you found 10,000 ways that don't work. And if you really want it enough, you, you'll get there. Just stay in the room and keep taking action. Well, staying on the, on the topic of books, um, you know, a question I asked you was what is your, is there a book that's really moved you for any reason? Yes, it's um, Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz. And I, it's I funny. Read this, I read this about 10 years ago. It's an amazing book, isn't it? Yeah, I know. It was so funny. People recommended it to me, and I'll be honest, the, the name didn't appeal to me. And <laughs> I should laugh at this because there have been people who haven't bought my book or read it because of the name. <laughs> you know, So here I am, like, you know, recreating, you know, I'm not comparing my book to his. That, that's, you know. But the name put me off. I thought, Psycho-Cybernetics, that's so weird. Is it about robots? <laughs> And even after I'd read the um, the blurb and it kind of piqued my interest, but I believe like when I keep getting a message, like the lessons that are meant for us don't pass us by and it kept coming up in certain ways. So I was like, I'm going to read this thing. And then I read it and I loved it so much I bought it on Audible. And the biggest takeaway from me for that book, because Maxwell Maltz was a plastic surgeon and he talks about how people would come to him for, and I, I, I I talked about it in the book, but I haven't said yet. I ended up having a, a tummy tuck, not for the cosmetic reasons, like that's part of it, but all the excess skin, like everywhere else, arms, neck, that they don't bother me, but the, the stomach was an issue. But he's like, sometimes I do the surgery and the people will be like, nothing's changed. And I'll stand there with them with the before and after photo, like showing them, look at your, like he does nose jobs and that sort of things, but look at your nose, look at your tummy. And they're like, nothing has changed because internally, and this is like when you reach your goal and you still feel inside like it's not there, it's almost a fool's goal. So what do we do? We extend the goalposts. Oh, five more kilos. Oh, I just got to get toned. Or like for me, the, the plastic surgery thing could have become, let's do my arms, let's do my neck, let's do you know my body lift and not knocking people who go down that path. But none of those things to me matter now. The stomach was an issue for reasons, but it was like, the, the it's the inside that counts is what I took from that book and I listen to it at least once a year it's so powerful you've made me think maybe I need to reread it because it's so long since I've <laughs> it's so good it. and you can get yeah. it on audible so I'm the kind of weird person that if I love a book I'll get it on the book and audible and <laughs> have both well and it's funny you say that because I'm, I'm I listen to a lot of books on audible and if sometimes every now and then a book really just hits me then I will buy the physical version as well and I will listen to it as I'm physically reading it. So that, that because what sometimes if you read a book, your mind can get distracted and go off in different places and even more so if you listen to a book. But what I've discovered with me is if I physically read it and listen to it, my mind is far less likely to go distracted and, and I really take it in much more. 
doing totally. that. Totally. Kind of a number of people have asked me when my the Audible of mine's coming, but the thing is I'm a little bit of a snob as in I only really like the book if it's read by the author. There'll be exceptions right. where I'll go ahead. I'm pretty sure Maxwell Maltz doesn't read his. Um, but I don't know if I could read my book. There's some sections in there that like I, I felt like I was opening emotional wounds writing it. I was like, I don't know how I'd go reading that. So it may come, it may not come, but I love how you said there's something about the synergy of listening and reading and how you just steep in the information so much more. Yeah. If people want to find out more about you and your you know, course that you have and your coaching and, and everything else, where, where would they go? Um, that's a great question. My website, suzannequalberg.com. Um, you'll put the spelling, I'm sure, in the show notes because Kohlberg is not – I've never actually had anyone get it right the first time. <laughs> Um, it's currently undergoing a rebrand, but because, um, yeah, primarily up until now, I have been mainly a weight loss coach, but over the last 12 months, it's really shifted into this overgiving, overconsuming. And and the thing is, I've never really felt at ease with the weight loss title because I've never weighed people in or out, told them what to eat or how to move or done any of the traditional things. So it's more about this really how to say yes to self, how to belong how to find a community in a safer space um, where you can start to unpack who you are and then take that out into other areas of your life and are you active on social media yes facebook is my jam <laughs> facebook.com forward slash suzanne kohlberg i'm debating instagram it's so funny i have one but i'm never actually on there um maybe one day i don't know i've just i don't find it as intuitive but apparently it's more the thing so you know that may be up and coming so just to, to finish suzanne is there a, a, yeah, well you mentioned about the quotation what, what is the quotation that you particularly like my absolute favorite quote of all time is by Sophia Bush, and she says, You can be a masterpiece and a work in progress simultaneously. And I think, you know, when we remember that, because sometimes we think when we get there, then our life will be magic and amazing. But our life can be a magic and amazing now. And when we find the areas that, you know, we can celebrate now, we have more to celebrate. And it doesn't mean that we don't have bad days or times where everything's too hard, but, you know, we're still like just stay in the room. So it's the kind of the combination of success is 80% turning up and you can be a masterpiece and a work in progress simultaneously. Well, Suzanne, I really appreciate your time and thank you for sharing everything. I'm sure, well, I'm hoping people will get a lot out of some of the um, some of the great tips that you gave, so how you know how they can kind of rethink some of the situations they may be in and, and hopefully some of them will contact you as well. Thank you so much, Tony. It's been great. Next week is episode 66 with Jay Fields, who is an educator, coach and author and has been teaching people the principles of embodied social and emotional intelligence to individuals and organisations for 20 years. So we discuss a lot about empathy and emotional intelligence and being grounded and so on. So that's next week with Jay Fields. If you know anyone who would get some real value from some of the information that Suzanne shared with us today, please do share the episode with them and hope you have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to the Habits and Health Podcast, where we believe creating healthy habits should be easy. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast app. Sign up for email updates and learn about coaching and workshop opportunities at TonyWinyard.com. See you next time on the Habits and Health Podcast.